so glad to be here. Um, it is a joy. I do want to jump in pretty quick because I'm on a time constraint, but I do want to share just some encouragement um, that you guys have brought to our church family and to, to me and my family personally. Um, to name a few, you guys support us financially, so money's always big, right? But it's not the most important thing. Uh, the second thing is your guys' just regular prayer for us. Um, it's just so encouraging that you guys not only give to us financially, but that you regularly are praying for us and asking for prayer requests. It's always a great reminder because even for us um, in church planning, it gets so busy, we forget to pray for ourselves. And then I get a text from Tyler, and she's like, yo, you got some prayer requests? And she wants specific ones too, right? She's admin-minded, so I'm like freaking out, right? Like, I don't, oh, I, don't, I don't know what prayer requests we have, and it's just always a joy being able to, to write that down and to send that over and to know that people, when my people are running late for church, you guys are praying for us and just uh, being a part of that circle in the morning at 9.30, is knowing that there's saints that um, have arrived early and are praying for us. Um, but there's also a few other encouragements that you guys have brought to us that you might not have remember. You guys also sent an evangelism team um, up to Anaheim um, when we first started out. So uh, we had Tyler, Ibby, um, a lot of uh, some older saints. We had Manny come out. A lot of, a lot of awesome um, people came out to support us, to reach our neighbors, to let them know that we're a new church plant in the city. And another encouragement, and this is the last one that we'll get going, is a few weeks in, right, we, we were around six people, and we see Andy and his family come in, and, and we're like, man, our church is doubling right now, right? He brought his wife and his kid, and we, we were so pumped, right? Obviously, later he told us that he's from the hill, but, you know, it was like, hey, at least, you know, we doubled in number today, so we are so thankful uh, for that. Um, so thank you all uh, from the bottom of my heart. It's, it's such a joy to partner with you guys and to know that we have such a backing um, that the Lord has, in His goodness and in His kindness, has provided a supporting, uh, a genuinely supporting church. So, thank you for that. Now, we're going to be in the book of Jonah, as Andy said in his prayer. He gave away some of the main points, but we'll be in Jonah chapter 1. We're going to read the whole chapter, and then we're going to explain some of the background. We'll go into some main points of chapter 1, and then we'll actually continue on chapter 2 and 3. We'll try to get that done today. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, reads this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went on to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on, that, on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we, mean, that we, we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? 
What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then he said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land. But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and not and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea seized from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of a fish three days and three nights. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity that you've given me to speak the word to your faithful people on that hill at Hill SD, Lord. We thank you for this group. We thank you that you've given me this opportunity once again, Lord. But I ask that as now I speak your words, that I would speak them boldly and faithfully, Lord, and that all the words I speak to this congregation would stick into their hearts, Lord, and, and that everything that I speak would come from the Holy Spirit, Lord. And if there's anything that's not from the Holy Spirit, if there's anything that's come from my personal opinion or my personal thoughts, Lord, that it would pass by everyone in this room. But Lord, that if it's from you, from the Holy Spirit, that it would stick in the hearts of each and every individual and that it would convict and change the way they live. So Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's your name we pray. Amen. So just to give you guys a little background about Jonah. So the book of Jonah is a little unique because it's more about a prophet than it is a message being delivered to a people. Now, there is the significance, the, the message to the people is also important. However, a lot of the book is highlighted on who Jonah is and what God is doing in Jonah's life. So, I want to share a little story to help highlight this. So, back a few years ago when my wife and I got married, uh, we had a honeymoon baby. It wasn't planned, but uh, we had a honeymoon baby. And while my wife was pregnant, we said, hey, we need to do a trip just on our own before the baby comes. So we decided to go to Oahu, where Austin, I think, is right now, right, uh, for his honeymoon. And we, we were like, hey, let's, let's go swimming, let's go snorkeling, let's have lots of poke. And it was awesome. It was an awesome plan that we had. And one thing I learned quickly in our marriage was that we were two very different people. So I grew up loving to swim. Like I, I swam like all the time with my dad. I loved water. And I loved water so much that I assumed everyone loved water. Right? So we went to Oahu, my wife told me, and she told me this after we got married, right? So I was like, yo, you should have told me this before. But she was like, yo, I do not like water. And I was like, water's nothing. Like, I'll show you. There's nothing to be afraid of. And I was like, I, I signed us up to do all this snorkeling, right? And I told her, hey, we're going to go. Don't worry. Like, if you think you're going to drown, you can just hold on to me. And so we did. We went out to Oahu not knowing, like, the big significance of someone being afraid of water is, right? So I was like, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Like, you can just stand up. And even though we were going to pretty deep water, um, 
So we go out there, and sure enough, my wife is freaking out. And, and this is like my first time experience. Like I've never met someone and been in the water with them while they're freaking out and thinking they're going to drown. So one of the things is, as soon as we went in, my wife was jumping around. She was freaking out. She had hand, hands up in the air, and she was grabbing onto me. And for the first time in my life, I was like, we're drowning. We're going to die. Like I, it was like the first time, genuinely, the first time in my life where I thought I was going to, where I thought I was going to die. We eventually got some help, you know, we got out of the water, but I say this to say my wife is a person of the land and I am a person of the water, man. If I could live in the water, I would. Jonah is a Hebrew and Hebrew people back in the day were known to be people of the land. The reason I highlight this is because when God goes to Jonah, he's telling him, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So to give you some context, Nineveh is like El Cajon. Like, I I was trying to look up the city, and like, so Nineveh is like El Cajon, and then you're sitting on Mission Beach, and God's telling you to go to El Cajon, but then Jonah, what he does, is he takes a boat, right, to Tarshish, which is like Hawaii, right? So... And you're thinking like, oh, why is great? But it's like, remember, he's a person of the land, right? So he's going out of his way to go the opposite direction of where God has told him to go. So God's like, dude, just, just you have a 500-mile trip to Nineveh from where he's at. So he's in Joppa. 500 miles east would be Nineveh. But instead, he goes 2,500 miles west towards Joppa. So we see that despite not being a huge fan of water, if it's to go against the will of God and to go against not speaking um, God's words to the people of Nineveh, that it's worth taking a boat. And not only that, it says that he flees and leaves the presence of the Lord and that he actually pays the fare. And most um, commentaries that I read say that he probably paid a significant fare. So not only is he going against the will of God, he's paying a significant fare to do so. And again, he's going on water to do it all. So we need to realize that Jonah genuinely did not like the people of Nineveh. In fact, I would go as far to say that he hated them. He hated them so much that he inconvenienced himself to do so. But this also gives us our teaching point in verses 1 through 3 in that God's grace extends to those we consider enemies. We see that in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and then even later in Jonah 3, verse 6 through 10. I'm going to explain that more later. But God's grace extends to those we consider enemies. And this is such an obvious teaching principle, but it's so important for us because we often forget that God's grace often extends to people we consider enemies. Have you guys ever felt that with a group of people? The question I want you to ask yourself, do you hate your enemies more than you love God? And even as I was preparing for this message, I was asking myself, Do I hate my enemies more than I love God? And I've been in ministry only 10 years compared to Jimmy, who's been in ministry much longer. But 
One thing, uh, growing up in the Korean church, is I have developed a lot of enemies. I think about my ministry over the past 10 years, and yes, I am a sinner deep down, rooted, and I'm just going to get vulnerable with you guys. There is a list that I made of enemies that I've made in ministry. There are people that's like, man, God, I will pray for all sorts of people, but I will not pray for this group. It's so easy for me to forget that God's grace that He showed to me, His mercy that He showed to me, that love that He showed to me when I was unlovely, He shares that same love to people who are unlovely to Him. Just like He showed love to me when I was unlovely to Him. right? And that's what we're realizing for Jonah is He doesn't, he doesn't seem to believe or He doesn't seem to think that Jonah is worthy, or the people of Nineveh are worthy to receive God's grace. That's why he's running away from the will of God. Eric Mason says it this way, which I think is super helpful for us. He says this, We can't trust our feelings because while our feelings are true, they aren't always telling the truth. Oof. Give me an amen right there. So, One thing that we're realizing also at the same time is we're seeing that Jonah, he's going out of his way to run away from the will of God. He's he's believing his feelings that are telling him, man, the people of Nineveh don't deserve God's grace, so I'm going to run the opposite direction. I'm going to take a boat. I'm going to pay my own fare. I'm going to go that way. And you would think here, although we're not God, if if I was just trying to put myself in God's shoes, we'd think, hey, God, just choose someone else. Your, Your will will be done. It doesn't necessarily matter who... Who does it? Send another person. Send another prophet. A more faithful prophet. A more obedient prophet to go and deliver that message to the people of Nineveh. But God, God does not do that. And in His sovereignty and His goodwill, He continues to pursue Jonah. So God does not just carry out His mission without Jonah. And the encouragement here is that God cares about Jonah, and he cares about his mission, but he also cares about his missionary, right? So it's a lot of times when we carry out even the great commission that Jesus has given to all of us, we're like, oh yeah, we need to deliver the good news of Jesus Christ to all people. Yes, that's significant, but don't forget about the work that God is doing in you. God cares about his mission. He does. But he also cares about his missionary. You are part of the mission. We continue on in verse 4 through 5. It says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a good thought to us that we may may not perish. So what we see here is that God's grace sends storms to discipline those whom He loves. And you heard that right. It's not Satan. It's God's grace sends storms to discipline those whom He loves. Now, Here's the issue, and, and, and you guys are more reformed, or I don't want to use the R word here, but like we, we, we value God's sovereignty, right? So we believe 
that, that God, everything happens in God's control, right? Amen? So we give too much credit to Satan. We think if there's something bad that happens in our life, if there's a storm or adversity or a loved one passes away, we point, oftentimes we point everything to Satan. And we say, hey, Satan did this. Not realizing that oftentimes a lot of the storms that you experience are actually from God directly. God sends storms to discipline those whom He loves. Don't give Satan credit for every bad, quote-unquote, bad thing that happens in your life. Because oftentimes it's God sending that storm your way to sanctify you. We continue into verse 7 and we see the casting of lots, right? And um, what we learn from here is not the significance of casting lots, but that everything was predetermined by God. So it seemed as though even Jonah knew that the lot would land on him. And he even offers to the soldiers, hey, just throw me in the water. I'm the issue. I'm, I'm the reason why this storm has happened in this sea. Throw me in. And this act of Jonah is what I think is a typology. It's a work of Christ that you see in the Old Testament. The fact that Jonah is offering up himself as a sacrifice, being thrown in, and as soon as he's thrown in, the storm goes away. That is like Jesus who atones for our sins, and as He dies on the cross for our sins, our, our sins are atoned for, right? The covering of our sins is taken place. We appease the wrath of God, or Jesus appeases the wrath of God. In that same way, Jonah being thrown into the sea he appeases the storm. We continue on. Point number three is that God's grace to His people never runs out. And that's what we see in verses, chapter 1, verse 7 through 17, is that God's grace to His people never runs out. Again, God is not only concerned about the mission, He is also concerned with the missionary and the worst thing God can do is to leave you alone, right? We cannot save ourselves. We need God, right? So even as a lot of you in the room, I won't assume everyone is regenerate. There may be some non-believers here. But God is the one who saves, right? God is the one who opens up our hearts so that we, we may receive the Word of God. And He's the one who convicts us and changes us. God has not given up on you. Growing up, uh, there was a lot of tension in my home because my brother and sister, they were so smart. Man, they got the straight A's, and if you got straight A's in our home, you were, you were good to go. But then came the baby of the family, me, and it's like, oh man, every now and then you'd see a B, okay? And, and, and B's, you don't see B's in my family. So there was always a lot of conflict in my, in my family, and there was one day it got so bad, I was like, all right, mom and dad, I'm moving out. All right, I'm running away. I was in like the seventh grade or something, maybe the sixth grade. I, you know, so I was, I was big time. I was baby of the family, and they were just kind of ignoring me. But I was like, "Yo, I'm packing my bags." And then the funny thing was, I'm seventh grade, right? I don't know where anything is, so I'm like, I'm like angry and mad, and I'm like, "Mom, get me my bag." You know, I don't know, I don't know where my bag is. Get me my socks, right? I, like my mom, like is the one who dressed me till I was like in a freshman in high school, right? So I'm, I'm asking her. I'm, I'm angry. I'm like, 
all right, give me my socks, hurry up, you know, I'm like commanding her, and I, I, and I pack my bags, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm all packed, and I was like, I was a big, like, I liked bathing over showering, so I was like, okay, I'm going to do my last bath before I leave, right, so I have my bags all packed, and I, and I do my bath, right, and I come out, hey, don't judge me, all right, God's the judge, you don't get to judge me, um, so, so I pack all my bags, and I'm ready to go, I come out of my bath, and I'm like, I'm leaving, all right, and I make this big announcement, like, my parents were like, all right, bro, you said that, like, for four or five hours, man, just get out, right, so they weren't giving in, but in the back of my head, through all that packing, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking, man, I wish my parents would stop me. You know, I'm making this big deal, this big fuss, while my brother and sister are there studying in the room, right? Like, and I'm like wanting this attention, and I'm wanting my parents to pursue me in all of that. In the back of my head, if I'm totally honest. So I leave, and I'm back within like three hours. I was like, man, it's cold. Like, you know, like, I, in the back of my head, I was, the whole time, I was like, man, I wish my parents would pursue me. But that's not the case for Jonah. I'm reading this passage, and no matter how many times I read this, as Jonah is running away from God, going out of his way to do it, even to the point of death. Like, he's telling me, I'm going to jump into this ocean, I'm going to die. Like, he, he's thinking he's going to die. He's not thinking he's going to get swallowed by a, uh, by a fish. I don't think so, at least. So even in the back of his head, he's not like me. He's not thinking, man, God, just pursue me and, like, save me. Like, he's like, I would rather die than see the people of Nineveh repent. I hope that makes a bold statement. So he's running away to the point where he's saying, I'd rather die than to see these people repent and believe in Jesus Christ. But the encouragement here is that we see that God's grace never runs out for believers. So you can run all you want away from God. But because you are saved, God will eventually catch you. You can't play hide and seek with God. But at the same time, we know that there's moments where we do want to run away from God. Where it's easy for us, it's easier for us to run away than to obey Him. But know in all of that, God is pursuing you. So even in your rebellious seasons of where you're running away from God, know that God is unlike my parents, and I'm not saying they're bad parents, right? But unlike the sinners in us, God is pursuing you. You can't play hide-and-seek with God. And if you do, you'll always lose. And at the same time, it's so easy for us to, to want to call time out, to say, like, hey, God, like, we've been faithful for this season. Like, this is a moment where I just want to call time out. There's no such thing as time-out ministry, right? But while there's no time for us to just call time out, there are times when God calls time out. And we'll see that in verse 17 where it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So in a sense, this is time out, but this is God in His sovereignty calling time out to Jonah. And then we see 
During those three days and three nights, there's a lot of reflection that takes place. Starting in verse 2, Jonah, in response, and being in the belly of a fish, he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fading away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen? So we see a change that's happening in Jonah's heart, or at least appearing to be so in, in this moment. And one thing we realize is Jonah is in a terrible place. And it's in that terrible place that he makes this declaration, which is summed up in his final proclamation, in that salvation belongs to the Lord, right? No matter how much we don't want a certain people, even our enemies, to be saved, it's God in His sovereignty who chooses who will be saved. But I want to highlight the idea that, that Jonah is in a terrible place. So um, earlier this year, I had the opportunity to go to Pakistan in hopes of, of long-term missions there where it's primarily a Muslim um, country. And one thing I learned was in Pakistan, actually on your license um, or ID, Pakistani people, they have to write, if you're Christian, you actually have that written on your ID. And a mission, the missionary on the field was taking me around, and he was showing me um, some of the different areas, and we, we came across a particular area where it just smelled terrible. And I, and I asked him, I was like, we were driving in the car, and I was like, why does this place smell so bad? And he said, this is where all the sewers from the rich people, where, where their, their, their poop comes, right? So it's all released here, so this is like, it's called Poop River. And I said, oh, okay, wow, there's a lot of people living around here, though. And he, and he said, these are where the Christians live. Because in other places, in nicer, nicer places, if, you, tell, if you, you show your ID and it says you're a Christian, they won't rent to you. He said, this poop river where these houses are, these are the places where Christians get to live. And that was eye-opening for me. I was like, man, I was here five minutes and I wanted to get out. But to think that there's Christians around the world who are being persecuted for their faith, even in these maybe small ways to them, but significant ways to us. And that, that made me think, this was a horrible place to be, but a great place to learn. In that moment, I, I realized that I was taking my faith for granted. We had, there's a lot of first world problems that we experience that other Christians around the world would just, man, they're praying to God that they would, they would experience over what they're experiencing. 
So one thing we realize in Jonah's um, declaration being in the, in the belly of a fish is that the belly of a fish is a terrible place to live, but a great place to learn. The belly of a fish is a terrible place to live, but a great place to learn. Again, some things I want to highlight from Jonah's prayer to God. Verse 3, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Verse 4, he says, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. That's awesome. Right. Even in adversity for Jonah, and he's being in the, in the belly of a fish, we see a declaration of salvation belonging to the Lord. And we see it in a quote-unquote horrible place. We're not even sure how he was living in the belly of a fish, right? How it's scientifically possible. But we know that through God, all things are possible. So again, the belly of a fish is a, great, a terrible place to live, but a great place to learn. Now we continue on into Jonah chapter 2. We see that God uses merciful interruptions to reroute believers. God uses merciful interruptions to reroute believers. So God is calling time out by throwing Jonah into the belly of a fish, and he's trying to get Jonah's attention. And this, in a sense, is like rehab, right? Rehab is very uncomfortable, right? If you've ever had a significant energy, uh, injury that requires some sort of rehab, you know that it's uncomfortable, but you also know at the same time that it's necessary. So this moment for Jonah was very uncomfortable, but it was necessary. Because, again, the last proclamation, at least in this prayer, is that salvation belongs to the Lord. And shortly after that proclamation, it says, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And we continue on and we see um, in Jonah 2, verses 8 through 10, but also continuing on into Jonah 3, we see in verse 4 and 5, that God is the one who has the power to save and the one who chooses who will be saved. Now, we have to accept this as people of God. If you're, if you're in the room and you're a believer, you have to accept that God is the one who has the power to save and the, and the one, not only the one who has the power to save, but the one who chooses who will be saved. We have to accept that as a people. For you to become truly saved, like it's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and treasure. Amen. But we have to accept the fact that it's God who chooses who will be saved. So Jonah and all of this, like God didn't just like change his mind and say, all right, Jonah, you, you think that the people of Nineveh shouldn't be saved, so I'm going to change my mind and you know, I'm not going to save these people. No, it's, it's God working on Jonah so that he sees Hey, this is my will, and I choose who will be saved, and these are the people that I'm choosing to repent and believe. You have to come to means with God on that. Let 
So we see in chapter 3, verse 1, the Lord comes back again to Jonah. And he says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, and nothing has changed about what God is telling him. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. God's message has not changed. Through all the running away, through the buying of the fair, riding on the boat, being thrown into the fish, the three days, the three nights, Jonah's situation has changed and changed and changed. Time has passed, but God's will has not changed. It has stayed constant. So we know that God's will will be completed in His timing and in His sovereignty. And another thing to highlight is after Jonah actually goes. So now we, we see the difference. Now God has, has made the same message. He's given the same message to Jonah. But then there's something significant in the message that he gives. Because God is telling him to d- deliver a message, but there's not many specifics about what that message should have in it, right? The content we're unsure about. But we see what Jonah says in verse 4. He says, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now I want to be careful because I don't want to to say something that I don't see in the Scripture, but it's very strange that this is the only content in Jonah's message. It almost makes me think Was he hiding something? Was he not being more specific in his message when he could have been? And what we'll see in chapter 4, which I won't preach today because you'll be late for lunch, which is non-existent because I heard you guys normally have lunch, but you don't have it today, right? Um, But something is strange is that his message to the people is only five words. And you're like, well, it's actually eight. Well, in the English, it's translated into eight words, but in the Hebrew, it's actually only five words. The message that he delivers on God's behalf is only five words. And you think, like, I mean, there's nothing about what Nineveh has done wrong. There's nothing about, you know, the repentance. There's nothing about, like, what they can do, right, or what they should do, right? It's just yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's the only content. But yet, with that five-word sermon, or again, we'll give them eight, that eight-word sermon, what do we see happen? It says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. And continuing on, it says, The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Now, I don't believe... How many of you guys are animal lovers? You love dogs or like cats or something, right? Oh, there's got to be more of you. Really? Okay. I mean, I don't believe I'll see animals in heaven. But if you want to hold that position, this is your chance. 
literally, it appears that, that even the, 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 the cattle are being saved. So people are repenting and even, even the cattle are being saved. So take this, uh, don't run with it actually, but uh, like this, is, this is the one passage that you can hold on to. If you're an animal lover, it's like, man, I want to see Doug, you know, in heaven. You know, like, you know, this is your one chance. But the point here is that God's mission will prevail despite the inadequacies of His missionaries. God's mission will prevail despite the inadequacies of His missionaries. Again, Jonah's sermon was not that great. I have a lot of doubts as to whether this was the exact message that God wanted to deliver, but in His sovereignty it happened, and this is the way that the message was delivered. I would not recommend this for a mission team. You guys are going to Pittsburgh in a few weeks, or, or maybe this week. I don't think you'll take this sermon, and this is what you're going to preach to people who have never heard the gospel, right? But even in your inadequacies, God's mission will prevail. And we see that here even as it seems as if Jonah had repented and he, and he knew that salvation be, be, belonged to the Lord, it seemed like there were still issues that were happening to, in his heart. And you won't see that unless you invite me back to, to preach um, in chapter 4. But there's issues in Jonah's heart. Yet in the midst of that, because God had willed these Nineveh people to repent and believe in Him, it was going to happen. His mission will prevail despite your inadequacies. May that be an encouragement to you. And it's an encouragement to me. I'm a perfectionist. And I need every little detail to be right. But as you know, if you're another perfectionist, a one on the Enneagram, you know that you are not perfect. And you fail each and every day. And even in carrying out the Great Commission, in this community and in the state of California and in the states, Abroad, right, we think we have to, to platform the gospel to make it sound just awesome and, and we want, to, want it to be perfect. And, and even when we share the gospel, we don't want to miss certain components. And continue to work on that. Continue to try to be faithful, as faithful as possible you can be to the gospel and the message. But know that even if you fail in being quote-unquote perfect, that God will use those imperfections for His glory. And He will use your inadequacies for His perfection and His will. And His will will be done. Now I want to end with this and some application. In all of this, we want to see, uh, we want to learn a lot of things from Jonah. And we want to be like, man, I'm a better Christian than Jonah. Man, like Jonah, like I am terrible at times. But I'm not as bad as Jonah is. But the reality is, is that all of us, at some point and in different seasons and in different moments, will run away from God. And we have been given a task to fulfill the Great Commission. In the same way that Jonah's job was to go to deliver a message to the people of Nineveh so that they may repent and believe in God, you have a mission to share the gospel with all people so that they may hear the word. And you may think, well, you're the one who said God has the power you know, to choose who will be saved, and he's the one who does do the saving. However, he does not call you to be the judge on that. He calls us all as believers 
for those in the room who are believers, to go and share the good news with all people, making disciples of all nations. That is what you focus on. So we must be loving and caring and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone we encounter. In other words, don't choose your personal preferences over your obedience to God. That's our, that's our learning point here, is don't choose your preferences over your obedience to God. If there's any non-believers in the room, I, I do have a message for you as well. The reality is, is that you have been an enemy of God, and likely so, is that you are currently an enemy of God. But the good news is, is that He extends grace to you. The unmerited favor and mercy of God shown through His Redeemer, Jesus Christ. That same grace that we believers have experienced in this room, that same grace has been extended to you. So I want to encourage you, if you do not believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord, Savior, and Treasure, I want you to, you can ask me, but there's also many leaders in the room, Bob, Andy, Tyler, Ibby, um, ask any of these individuals, or any, any member here, ask them how you can Commit your life to Jesus Christ and no longer live as an enemy of God and experience the grace that God has shown through Jesus Christ and believe in Him as your personal Lord, Savior, and treasure. I want to I encourage you with that. And another thing that I want to end on for you believers is that another thing we realize in the book of Jonah is that the presence of God is often experienced in times of distress, isolation, and inconvenience. The presence of God is often experienced in times of distress, isolation, and inconvenience. So know this. If you're going through a tough season where you want to run away from God, or you're currently running away from God, know that God is using this moment for you to fix your eyes back on Christ. These opportunities, these these things that you're experiencing that are uncomfortable and inconvenient and difficult, There are moments that we can see our imperfection and that we're incapable of producing our own result. And that we need to look to a greater Jonah. Jesus is the greater Jonah. May we put our trust in Him. And may we know that back in the day, in the holy temple days, there was a place where a priest would sprinkle blood that would represent the congregation's sins were forgiven. But the good news is we no longer have to do that. The greater news is that Jesus spilt His blood to cover for your imperfections and for your sins. Jesus is the greater Jonah. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this time that You've given us to open up Your Word. Lord, we're thankful for Jonah and the work that You did in his life to sanctify him, to help him to, be, to become more like You, Lord. We thank you even in his disobedience, him choosing his personal preferences over being obedient to you initially. Lord, how you changed his heart, how you pursued him, and that you showed him that you not only care about your mission to see um, unchurched and de-churched people come to faith in Jesus Christ, but also how you did a work in his life, how you care about the missionary just as much as you care about the mission, Lord. So may we know that, may we be renewed And recalibrate our hearts knowing that, Jesus, you died for us. 
That that same grace that you have extended to Jonah and to the people of Nineveh, you've extended to everyone in this room. Lord, we know in your sovereignty and in your will, you choose who will be saved, and you open up the hearts of those people to believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord, Savior, and treasure. And we ask if there's anyone in this room, Lord, that you would open up their hearts, anyone who does not believe in, in Jesus Christ, that you would open up their hearts here today in this moment, and you would save them. And that through your saving means, how you use believers to share the gospel to people who have never heard and for people who have heard maybe a false gospel. We ask that you would use the believers in this room to play a role in that. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.